from Matthew chapter 10, verses 40 through 42. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. You can be seated. Well, good morning once again. Glad that you were able to join us here for worship at Legacy. Uh, We're going to be closing out the 10th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. And so by way of reminder, in this chapter, we have seen Jesus gather his 12 apostles before him in order to prepare them to go out in pairs and proclaim the good news. But Jesus does not exactly have good news for the apostle. Uh, In fact, he tells them that there will be those who will not receive them or heed their words. And at such times, they're to shake the dust off their feet and move on towards a more fruitful harvest. But more than that, Jesus warned, Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. That's a very vivid image. You can imagine the vulnerability of a pair of sheep wandering out in a wilderness where there are wolves lurking all around. It's a dangerous situation. It's a challenging situation to be in. And that's not only to be the reality for these men, these 12 apostles, but indeed it's the case for all believers seeking to live faithful lives in a fallen world. We are as sheep in the midst of wolves. He goes on to warn that evil men will deliver them and and by extension believers over to the courts to flog them, that is to, to whip them severely in the synagogues. They will be dragged before governors and kings for Christ's sake. And this is not to come at the actions of hostile strangers only, but even at the hands of family members. Brother will deliver brother over to death. Father turned against his child, children against their parents to the point of having them put to death. Professing faith in Christ will not always bring peace into our human relationships, but as we saw in verse 34, it can bring a sword, a sword that will cut asunder even the closest of family relationships as those who deny Christ reject those who embrace Christ. Such is the harsh reality that Jesus prepares his followers for here in chapter 10. And yet, as we'll see this morning, it is not the case that universal believers rather will be universally rejected. They will not always and without without exception be rejected. Because in addition to encountering opposition, and even persecution as we obey Christ's command to proclaim the gospel in all the world, we will also experience times of blessed hospitality when we are welcomed by those who receive both us and our message in the name of and for the sake of Jesus Christ. 
What relieving news this must have been for the disciples to hear after all the warnings they had just been given about what they were going to face. To borrow a visual from the text itself, these words must have been like a cup of cold water to a weary, dust-covered traveler. It's a refreshing promise in a desert of harsh reality. But let's not make the mistake of viewing this passage as being applicable only as an encouragement to these apostles, or perhaps by extension to to missionaries or to vocational ministers. It is addressed first to the apostles, yes, but the principles apply to all believers. Our passage reveals that as Christians, we are all in a position to be sent and to serve those who are sent, to receive and be received to both bless and be blessed. And so we will consider our passage this morning in two parts. First, we will look at the receiving of Christ's servants. And secondly, at receiving Christ's rewards. So first, receiving Christ's servants. Recall the the deeper meaning of the word receive that we discussed when we looked at verses 5 to 15 of chapter 10, where Jesus instructed the 12 to leave any house or any town that would not receive them. Receive in that passage and in our own does not merely mean to allow in or to tolerate or merely to welcome, but to give ear to their message, to To receive them is to show them love, to show them hospitality, to show them kindness. It's to give ear to the message and extend love and hospitality towards the messengers. It's to rightly respond to the word of God and show kindness to those God has sent. So let's look at that. Let's look at verse 40 as we consider this part of our passage. Whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. And he goes on to talk about who it is that that we are to receive and who is to be received. Jesus speaks of prophets, of righteous people and little ones being received by others, to be welcomed in this way, to be listened to in this way. A prophet of God is one who speaks God's message, one who proclaims his word. Just as a priest would represent the people to God, a prophet is one who would represent God to the people. They would proclaim what he had to say to them. A righteous person, of course, speaks not of a person who is holy through their own effort or by their own means, but who is made righteous by God and who lives a life marked by faithful obedience to him. Now, those two categories are are clear enough on their own. Little ones, however, is worth expanding on a little bit. While this certainly does include children, actual children, remember that this is a term of endearment that's common throughout the New Testament. In 1 John, John writes to his readers, and he calls them little children, seven times. Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. And he was referring to all of his followers. 
before giving his disciples a new commandment to love one another in John 13, Jesus said, little children, yet a little while I am with you. So it's safe to say that Jesus was not speaking only of children here, but of the apostles and by extension, all of his followers. After all, in Mark 9, 41, speaking directly to his apostles, Jesus says the exact same thing as this. For truly, I say to you, the apostles, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. So we know who it is that is to be received in our passage. It's the servants of the Lord. This might include prophets, and, and you could think of, of missionaries, those in ministry, that sort of thing. The righteous, which is a more overarching category, speaking to the person's faithfulness rather than to their, their calling or their vocation. And disciples of Christ, little ones, that is, the everyday average Christian. In other words, we're to receive all those who know, love, and serve the Lord. We're to receive them or to listen to their words when they speak God's word to us. We're to, to show them hospitality, to show them love, show them kindness. And why we receive prophets and the righteous and disciples is important as well. They are not to be received because the one showing hospitality or kindness, hopes to gain something from them by doing so. No, we see in our text that they are to be welcomed because of the one whom they serve. This is made clear in verse 42, in which Christ says that the kindness of a cup of cold water is given because the person is a disciple of Christ. And so are we are to receive them. We are to hear their words because they carry a message from Christ. We are to show them love. In fact, we're to view opportunities to love Christ's servants as opportunities to love Christ himself. We've talked before about how a king's emissaries or messengers were to be received and obeyed as if they were the king himself. And of course, any kind or ill treatment of his messengers would be a direct insult or a direct favor shown to the one who sent them. Well, in the same way, Jesus sees what is done towards his faithful servants as if they were done directly for him. Whoever receives you receives me. And this is not the only place in Matthew's gospel where Christ speaks this way. You might recall this familiar passage in Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 36. He says this, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will call the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. 
I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Well, to help overcome being puzzled by this, he explains his meaning in verses 37 to 40. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. To serve Christ's followers, especially the least of his followers, those in need of love and kindness and assistance, is to serve Jesus Christ. Our passage reveals even more than this. Those who receive Christ's servants receive Christ. And those who receive Christ receive the one who sent Christ, God the Father. Whoever receives me receives him who sent me, Jesus says. Well, this same truth is reiterated in John 13, 20. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Also in Luke 10, 16, we read this, the one who hears you, hears me. And the one who rejects you, rejects me. And the one who rejects me, rejects him who sent me. So don't overlook the full weight of what is being revealed in these verses. We are to serve our fellow believers. And when we do so, we are serving Christ and we are serving God the Father directly. How much more motivated would we be to jump at opportunities to love and serve fellow Christians if we were to keep this truth at the forefront of our thoughts? That when we do so, no matter how slightly inconvenient, no matter how much of a burden, that when we do so, we are serving Christ. We are serving God. And while this reveals the great importance of receiving the Lord's servants, it is not only great acts of service that are worth doing. Even the smallest act is made large when done unto the Lord. Whoever gives one of these little ones a cup of cold water, which reveals that all believers have a role to play. Even a humble gift to a humble servant is recognized and rewarded for what it is, faithfulness to Jesus Christ. No matter how small our contribution may be, if it is a selfless sacrifice done in love towards the recipient, it is accepted as a great kindness. Now certainly these words from Christ would have been welcome relief for the disciples who had the difficulty of their task laid out so plainly before them. They were to be received and welcomed and shown kindness by those who would receive their message. But how can we rightly apply these verses to our own lives? Well, let me suggest three practical applications from our passage thus far. First, we should not despair 
at the difficult task which is ours to proclaim the gospel to others. Although our attempts to reach others with the gospel are often rebuffed, we should not think that frequent rejection means that we should cease from evangelism, that we should cease from outreach. Christ has told us that there are fields ripe for harvest. And while we should expect rejection and even persecution as Christians, we should also expect there are those whom the Spirit has prepared to respond in faith and repentance to the call of Christ delivered by his servants. We will face opposition, but we will also enjoy success. At times, there will be those who show us love and hospitality because we are servants of the Lord and who gladly receive the message of Christ's kingdom. And at those times, we can experience the joy expressed by the Apostle Paul in his letter to the church in Thessalonica, writing, We also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. We will have times of success in our outreach to the world around us. Second, we note from this passage that all are capable of serving those who serve Christ. No matter your age or your financial situation or any other limitation that you can think of, there is something that you can do to show kindness to Christ by showing kindness to those who represent him. That might be a show of hospitality. That might be an uplifting letter or a phone call or even a text message. That might be a gift of a helpful book or a resource, a kind word. could be a number of things. The point is, don't undervalue the small things that you can do to show love and kindness to others. So kids, do not think that you have no role to play in loving others and serving them and serving Christ by doing so. There's many things that you can do. Third, and on that same note, even the smallest kindness shown towards us should be received with gratitude, especially when it is shown because we are of the household of faith. Do not look down on small blessings. Although the widow had only a mite to contribute to the offering, the fact that she gave out of her poverty rather than her abundance made her gift all the more valuable. So receive even the smallest blessing with gratefulness. Show gratitude to them and to God for it. Even something as small as a cup of cold water given to someone because they are a disciple of Jesus is lauded in Scripture and in heaven as worthy of reward. And it should be no surprise that those who serve Christ's servants who hear and heed the message of the gospel and respond in love to those who bring it, would be rewarded by Christ. Would not a king respond kindly to those who receive his messengers in a hostile land? As commentator Matthew Henry wrote on these verses, this passage reveals that Christ himself would so heartily espouse their cause as to show himself a friend to all their friends, 
and to repay all the kindnesses that should at any time be bestowed upon them. So let us continue our examination of this text and turn next to consider those kindnesses that he repays on those who are a friend to his friends. Let's turn into a consideration of receiving Christ's rewards. Let's look at verses 41 through 42. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. We don't talk so much about rewards for service to Christ. Honestly, it probably makes uh, most of us feel a little bit odd to think about and to talk about and to study the concept of, of heavenly eternal rewards. In rightly wanting to avoid the excesses and the errors of, of things like the prosperity gospel, which promotes an all-gain, no-pain, counterfeit Christianity, we can sometimes be uncomfortable with the concept of heavenly rewards. Derek Thomas, uh, he's a, a Presbyterian minister, he's a teacher with Ligonier Ministries. He had this to say in response to a question about whether or not we receive rewards in heaven. He said this, I think if you had asked any Christian who lived prior to the 20th century, or certainly any Christian in the Reformed world, the answer would have been absolutely, definitely, yes. Something happened in the 20th century regarding the doctrine of rewards. If I asked 25 or 30 modern seminary students, how many of you expect rewards in heaven? and that some will be rewarded more than others, I doubt that two hands would go up. Somebody needs to make a study of what happened to the doctrine of rewards. It was certainly a Puritan or a magisterial reformer idea. Scripture clearly teaches that some are rewarded not just for their justification, but for their progressive sanctification, for using the gifts that God has given them well. Well, to Thomas's point, you can look at it, quotes from a number of Puritans and reformers and see exactly this. John Calvin said, consider to provoke you to good works that you shall have from God when you come to glory a reward for everything you do for him on earth. From John Bunyan, we read, whatever good thing you do for him, if done according to the word, is laid up for you as treasures or as treasure in chests and coffers to be brought out to be rewarded before both men and angels to your eternal comfort. In speaking of receiving rewards and how it is that no one in heaven will feel that they lack anything, Puritan Thomas Watson said, though every vessel of mercy shall be full, yet one may hold more than another. In addressing the question, about whether a varying level of rewards will lead to a sense of unequal joy in heaven, Jonathan Edwards used very similar imagery. He wrote this, Every vessel that is cast into this ocean of happiness is full, 
though there are some vessels far larger than others. And there shall be no such thing as envy in heaven, but perfect love shall reign throughout the whole society. So yes, there are a number of theologians and and writers and pastors and Christian thinkers that we could point to from prior generations of the church that seem to be much more comfortable with the concept of heavenly rewards than we are. But more importantly, there are many passages of Scripture that teach not only do we experience blessing through obedience in this life, that is to say, not only when we obey God's word do we find that it goes well with us. God says, honor your father and mother, and sure enough, you have peace in the home. You build trusting, loving relationships. So there's natural blessings that come from obedience. But beyond that, Scripture shows that there are particular rewards given in the next life as a result of our service in this life. And because this is something that many of us, myself included, have not done a great deal of study on, allow me to draw your attention to a number of passages that speak to that reality. Matthew 6, 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Well, this, of course, implies that if we do not practice righteousness from the, for the praise of men, but for the glory of God, that we will have a reward from our Father in heaven. Matthew 19, 29. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. Luke 6:35 But love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great. Luke 9 Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spur your name as evil on account of the son of man rejoice in that day and leap for joy for behold your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. Luke 14, verses 12 to 14. He said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. One more, 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Now, such rewards, of course, are not of the same kind that we would think of receiving here on earth, whether that be trophies or titles or money and things like that, but they are of a spiritual nature. And I dare not speculate too much on the nature of these rewards because the fact is we are simply not told in great detail what that reward will be. What we do know with certainty, although not with perfect clarity as to details and specifics, is that every single 
believer will enjoy the ultimate reward of eternity with Christ. Each of us will share in the inheritance of Christ as, co- as his co-heirs. At that time, we will all receive a crown of glory. We shall enter into heavenly peace and rest. We shall experience glorification. We shall be in the presence of the Lord. We'll be able to sing out with the psalmist, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. That is what everyone in Christ will enjoy. Regardless of the length of life they have as a believer or their giftedness, or how well they make use of those gifts, or, or what it is they endure for Christ's sake, or any other thing in this life. We'll all experience that great ultimate reward. But as we saw in the previous passages that I looked at, there are rewards even on top of that. And you might be wondering, but isn't that enough? Why would we even desire further rewards when such an overwhelmingly glorious reality awaits us. Well, to that, I think we can simply say that God in his mercy and his grace has deemed that it brings him even greater glory to bestow upon his faithful servants blessings in abundance. And he has chosen to do so in at least some measure in proportion to our service to him. Now, how exactly that plays out, whether that is an increased measure of blessing or an increased capacity to enjoy the blessings given, that is a a debated topic. That is not entirely clear. But what is clear is that what we do in this life impacts what we experience in eternity. We will receive rewards for service to Christ and for service to Christ through serving those he sends. And that should, in healthy proportion, spur us on towards greater faithfulness. The Bible does put reminders out there of the rewards which await us as a means of encouragement to endure difficult times and to remain faithful when it is hard. But I do think it's necessary to offer two cautions on that point. First, we are not called to pursue righteousness with an eye to what we might receive in payment. Just as with salvation, everything we get from the hands of God is a free gift of his grace. It's not something that we earn through our own effort. After all, Each of our most righteous actions in this life are still intermingled and stained with sin and selfishness and imperfection. We are to serve others for Christ's sake. And we serve Christ to praise him for who he is and out of gratefulness for what he's done. Now that being said, while we ought not to obey the Lord and love others to receive a reward, we see that scripture does warrant being spurred on to faithfulness when it is difficult by being reminded of the truth that your heavenly Father who sees in secret will reward you. 
So there's one caution. The second caution is this, the idea of obtaining more rewards than another person must not in any way cause us to become boastful about our service to the Lord. If, if anything, it should humble us. To be boastful would be bring about the opposite of the intended effect, which is to glorify God. We read this in the second Helvetic Confession of Faith from 1566. God is well pleased and approves of works which are done by us through faith. He also richly rewards them. But we ascribe this reward not to the merits of the man who receives it, but to the goodness and faithfulness of God who promises and grants it. Although he owes nothing to his creatures, even if we have done all, we are but unprofitable servants. We say with Augustine that God crowns and rewards in us not our merits, but the gifts of his grace. It is a reward of grace, not of merit. We have nothing but what we have received. What amazing love and abundant grace is shown by God that, that he would redeem us, command us to obedience, enable us to obey by working in and through us, through his spirit, and then reward us for serving him. Rewards are not for our glory, but for his, and they should be received as such. But what I want us to see here is what Scripture plainly teaches, that one, when we receive Christ, we receive uh, his, or rather, when we receive Christ's servants, we receive Christ. And when we serve Christ and love others, we will be rewarded by him. Whenever we show kindness to those he sent, when we are friends of his friends, as we saw in that quote from earlier. So how best can we put these verses into practice in our own lives? How can we keep the important truth that to serve others is to serve Christ and God the Father and, and to think rightly about the rewards that he blesses us with? Well, I find that the best application of this passage of Scripture can be found in yet another passage of Scripture. We read this in Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 to 24. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. Let each of us seek opportunities to serve Christ by serving those who serve him, to, to work heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men, knowing that we will receive the inheritance as our reward and so much more above and beyond that we could ever expect or imagine. May we give God all the glory for the ways in which he blesses and rewards us for doing so. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. We thank you for the kindness that you have bestowed on us. That not only have you rescued us from sin and death, but that you would use us, Lord, to bring your gospel 
the good news of salvation in Jesus Christ to others. More than this, Lord, you are, you are faithful to warn us of the opposition that we will face at those times, but also provide us with an oasis of rest along the way where we might be received and welcomed and loved and shown hospitality by those whom your spirit has prepared to receive your word and respond rightly in repentance and faith to it. We ask you, Lord, that you would help change our hearts, help us to see opportunities to love and serve others, not as, as burdens, but for what they are, a chance to serve our Savior, our Lord, our Master, who has given himself up for us and loved us to, point, to the point of death and death on a cross. Lord, we could never repay you for all that you have blessed us with, but help us to have hearts that are eager to show you love and service by showing love and service to others. Help us to be encouraged by what your word has to say about your abundant grace and, and mercy and love that you would reward us for being but unprofitable servants. Help us to hold that before us in ways that are appropriate and helpful and healthy, neither neglecting the reality of rewards nor allowing the gift to obscure our love for the giver. Help us to see these as yet more reasons to glorify and praise your name for all eternity. Amen.